Let's pray over the Revelation, and we're going to be on chapter 17, Revelation 17, and then we're going to go all the way through the end of 18. Next week, we're looking at Jesus comes again and the rapture and the second coming. I told you I was going to go there. That's next week. The rider on the white horse is next week. But now, tonight, we're going to talk about Babylon. <laughs> Babylon. And we're starting in chapter 17. Verse 15 in Revelation, if you're in your book, I hope you're in your book, chapter 12. Now let's pray together. Father, we thank you tonight that you gave us this revelation so that we would know and understand the times. And Lord, we are certainly in the end times. Lord, Jesus is at the door. We're living in the days of Noah and the days of Lot all over again. And so, Lord, tonight we pray that you will open our eyes and ears and give us understanding hearts. Will you just lift your hands to the Lord, church, and just say, Lord, speak to me tonight. Increase my understanding and help me to understand the times. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him Babylon bites the dust. <clears throat> Babylon bites the dust. All right. Now, we need to do a quick recap because you're dealing with so many things in the book of Revelation, so many different areas. And boy, I mean, it's a lot of information, isn't it? 22 chapters of just intense revelation. And so let's recap. In the last chapter, we looked at John's prediction of ancient Rome being revived in the last days and that it would consist of a 10-nation confederacy. Remember that? Or a beast with ten heads. That's the ten-nation confederacy. That ten-nation confederacy joins hands to support and back up and uh, uphold and really perpetuate the will of Antichrist. We saw that this ten-nation confederacy, or what will probably be this, uh, this beast, we saw it's already begun through the European Union of today which began with 10 full member nations. It's not that way now. It's about 25 now. But it doesn't matter because things change overnight. Have you noticed that? Things change overnight. It doesn't matter what you see happening out there. The Word of God will come to pass. Every jot and tittle, it will not miss a beat. Now, this political entity, the 10-nation confederacy, may very well be what the Antichrist will seize. The European Union may very, very well be it. What he will use in order to gain power during the Great Tribulation. Now, we also observed what John called the Great Harlot. And what was the Great Harlot? You remember? It's an apostate religious system pictured as a woman riding atop a beast. And I've shared with you that I, to me, I'm looking at just such a possible um, apostate church, an apostate system forming right now in front of our eyes. Amen. There has been a huge apostasy church away from the faith once delivered to the saints. There's been an apostasy. Now, I don't know how much you read, how much you're aware of it, but I can tell you, we've watched entire denominations walk away from the Word of God. There are denominations in the world, and I hate naming them, uh, but you know about them if you read it all, but there's denominations right now that are debating things that are just preposterous, that, are, that, that shouldn't even be a debate. 
that, that are so unbiblical, so anti-Christ. They have been so sucked into political correctness and really stinking thinking, unbiblical thinking and notions and philosophies and whatnot that they're not even walking in the Word anymore. I, I shared last time that some of the most popular churches on so-called Christian TV don't even teach the Bible, which I happen to notice being a teacher. And I don't like naming names. I won't name names. If you have any discernment whatsoever, you know what I'm talking about. But there are, there are some of them you shouldn't be watching or listening. Why would you? They're not teaching the Bible. Church needs to get some discernment. Amen? We need, we need to be able to say, hey, is that in the Bible? Is what I'm hearing them say in the Bible? And if it's not, why would you waste your electricity with that TV on watching them? But it's happening. A great apostasy. And Paul predicted this in 1 Timothy 4.1. In the last days, men shall depart from the faith and will be seduced into things taught by demons. Well, it's happening in our day right now. That's why we need to be in the Word of God. That's why in this church we teach the Bible. We teach through whole Bible books. We want you to be biblically literate, not biblically illiterate. The more you know about your Bible, the less the chance you will be deceived. That's just a fact. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. If you haven't washed your mind in this Word and you're not in it and learning it and and just drenching your, your brain in it. I believe in being brain washed. Wash your brain with the Word of God. If you're not doing that, then believe me, you, you could very possibly be deceived. Jesus said in the last days, even the very elect can be deceived. Now, the harlot, this apostate harlot religious system, will be the vehicle used by the Antichrist, who is the beast, to persecute and kill true believers. Amazingly, it's a woman riding atop a beast that the European Union has selected as their symbol. And I showed you that last week. I showed you picture after picture of how they have adopted that very symbol to be their symbol, a woman riding atop a beast. What are the odds? John's description of the harlot carried on the back of the beast suggests a demonic duo, one political and the other religious. Antichrist will be political. He will be a political creature, a political man with political power. But the apostate religious system will be led by what's called a false prophet, and he will be a religious figure. Many through the centuries have believed that it would be a pope. You tell me who has more immediate religious impact and import, who has the ability to get the ear of our world religiously more than a pope? You say, oh, Jeff, you got to be careful where you're going there. I say, I'm not saying it for sure. But through the centuries, Amen. Bible scholars, and as they watch the Roman Catholic Church evolve in the third century and so on and so forth, they, and as it evolved and developed and became not only religiously powerful but politically powerful, and the Pope being the very vicar of Christ and what he said was the word of God, indisputably, all of that stuff. I'm just saying it's possible. But there will be a demonic union, and it will not last. John closes chapter 17 describing the, the fate of this harlot 
religious system. Uh, it says, in, starting in verse 15, Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute or harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast, and that's the Antichrist, and the ten horns, and that's the ten nations in league with Antichrist, that you saw will hate the harlot, will hate that religious system. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Verse 17, for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. Verse 18, the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. And that means the harlot, apostate church, will be connected to a a revived Roman Empire like we talked about last week. Now, the time will come midway through the seven-year tribulation when the Antichrist will turn on this harlot religious system that he has been working with and that has helped promote him, suddenly he will turn on that system. He will turn on the leader of that system. And I believe uh, um, this entire apostate religious system will come under persecution and attack by him instead of being his sort of John the Baptist pushing him forward. No doubt, because he will want himself to be the center of worship. And that's what the Antichrist does. Midway through the tribulation, he says, I've had enough of Jesus being worshipped and God being worshipped and this apostate religious system being worshipped and followed. I want everybody following only me. At that moment, the great harlot false religious system is completely and totally destroyed just when the world is resting in a false security. Antichrist will break his covenant with the Jewish people, will walk into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and desecrate it by declaring himself to be God. This is what Daniel and Jesus both called what? Say it with me. The abomination of desolation. Jesus warned, here's Jesus' words. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. For then there's going to be a great tribulation, a tribulation that has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall it ever be. Now, how many terrible tribulations have we seen in the world? Think about the Holocaust. Think about World War II. Think about World War I. Think about the Civil War in America. Look at all of the incredible tribulations we've seen nationally and worldwide. And Jesus said, this tribulation, this great tribulation, this end-time tribulation, will put all of them in the shade. And it begins in its worst ferocity midway through the tribulation. When Antichrist commits this abomination of desolation, it's the trigger point for the final three and a half years of the tribulation, which are the worst. The artificial security the world has been under will be shattered. When they say, peace, peace, Paul wrote, then sudden destruction comes upon them like a woman in travail, and there will be no escape. When they say, peace, peace. Now let's talk about Babylon. Whereas chapter 17 reveals the appearance of the great harlot 
the apostate religious system and her destruction at the hands of Antichrist, chapter 18 depicts the destruction of a literal Babylon. This chapter, chapter 18, is where we witness the Antichrist system collapsing. I told you he's going to come into power, great power, total dictatorial power, but it doesn't last long at all. He's not given long on the world stage. Seven years and it's over. Thank God. There are two Babylons in the Bible. As already mentioned, there is a spiritual Babylon, the apostate religious church of the last days. And again, I really do believe that's forming in America and in the world right now. I see it. I so clearly see an apostate religious system. And there is also a literal, physical Babylon that Revelation talks about clearly, particularly in chapter 18. A capital city accompanied by a system and a culture that comes under judgment. A literal city of Babylon will be the center of the Antichrist world kingdom according to chapter 18. Chapter 18 focuses on the social, financial, and commercial destruction of this last great government on earth. Now let's read about it. Revelation 18 starting at verse 1. After all this, I saw another angel. How many of you can say, boy, there's a lot of angels in the end times? Well, there's angels everywhere. Every time he sees something, it's, it's an angel that is doing something that is involved in the last days. I believe in the ministry of angels. I don't worship them. I don't believe I can command them. And if you think you can command them, let me tell you, you can't. They do whatever Jesus tells them to, and that's it. I've seen people commanding angels. I said, you fool, you're not commanding an angel. You're talking to vapor. Angels don't obey you or me. They obey Christ. All right? But now, after all this, I saw another angel come down from heaven, and look how he's described, with great authority. And the earth grew bright with his splendor. Aren't they magnificent beings? The earth lit up at the arrival of this angel. He gave a mighty shout. And what did he shout? Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture, and every foul and dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her. Now, this is spiritually speaking, you understand. Because of her desires for extravagant luxury, the merchants of the world have grown rich. Now, this is clearly in verses 1 through 3, talking about a city, a place on earth that has become very, very powerful by the time the tribulation has arrived and has exercised world influence. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on Babylon that's important for us to understand. From Genesis to Revelation, the name Babylon, you'll notice, has come up again and again and again. If you read your Bible cover to cover, you're going to hear Babylon all the time. It's everywhere in the Bible. Babylon is referred to as a literal, physical, great city more than once in the book of Revelation. All in chapter 18, you read all those verses that I put down there for you. Chapter 18 talks about Babylon as a literal city that is on the scene and powerful by the time of the Great Tribulation. Most prophecy scholars believe the Babylon of chapter 18 is an actual commercial city. 
Now, based on John's vivid description of her destruction, it really almost has to be. How, how can we read about destruction like this if Babylon isn't a real city? What we're about to read will prove it. If so, it may very well be talking about the Babylon that's currently located in Iraq. Have you ever wondered why Iraq has been such a source of intense conflict? Is there anybody in here who has not heard the word Iraq in the last few years? Anybody? How have we all heard about Iraq? We don't live near Iraq. Iraq is not down the street. It's not in America. How has Iraq become such a major... Of course, there was a war there, and I understand that, but look how Iraq sits on the world stage right now. Now, let me talk about Iraq. Most people have no idea the crucial role that Iraq has played in the Bible. Let me give you some examples. The Garden of Eden was in Iraq. Adam and Eve were created in Iraq. Satan made his first recorded appearance in Iraq. Nimrod established Babylon and the Tower of Babel. Where was Babylon first built? In Iraq. Where did God confuse the languages? Now, you can say Iraq if you're from Texas or Iraq if you're from the north. I'm from the north. It doesn't matter. It just depends on where you're from. I think Iraq sounds more sophisticated. You want to say Iraq? That's all right with me. Iraq, Iraq, it's the same place. Now, let me, let me tell you some more. Abraham came from a city in Iraq. Ur of the Chaldees was in Iraq. Isaac's bride came from Iraq, so a good thing can come from Iraq. Jacob spent 20 years in Iraq. The first world empire, Babylon, was in Iraq. And I've given you all the Bible verses to check these on yourself. It was in Iraq that Daniel was thrown to the lions and where he saw the, Lord's, uh, the Lord in his glory over the Tigris River. That was in Iraq. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the burning fiery oven in Iraq. The greatest revival in history was in a city in Iraq, Nineveh. That was in Iraq. The events in the book of Esther all took place in Iraq. Ezekiel was there when the glory of God was seen in its fullness by the Kibar River in Iraq. Babylon was in Iraq, and the book of Nahum took place in Iraq. And that's just some of the examples. Look at the key location. Can you believe the Garden of Eden was in Iraq? The perfection of beauty, where God walked in the cool of the garden, that was in Iraq. So in Iraq, we see the beginning of creation, and in Iraq, we see the beginning of satanic evil. All of that happened in Iraq. No wonder Iraq is on the world stage like it is. Is this not a place, I ask you, where our Lord in his providence and in his sovereignty is still involved? Amen. That's why it's such a place of warfare right now. Things began here. It could be that things will end here. I don't know. I'm throwing that out. Perhaps this is why such ferocious battles have taken place there and why there has been so much resistance over its freedom, such hatred, such strongholds, Saddam Hussein and all of that, Iraq. Now, here's the deal. Will Iraq actually be inhabited again? Yes. Will it flourish according to the Bible? Yes. Will it play a key role in end-time prophecy? Yes. yes. 
Many are unaware that in 1983, Saddam Hussein started rebuilding Babylon on top of the old ruins, investing in both restoration and new construction. He inscribed his name on many of the bricks in imitation of Nebuchadnezzar. Did you know that? It's true. One frequent inscription reads, quote, this was built by Saddam Hussein, son of Nebuchadnezzar, to glorify Iraq. And wasn't he hung in Iraq? As I speak, plans are underway to rebuild the ancient city of Babylon. Members of the brigade's 2nd Battalion, 28th Infantry Regiment, have escorted a group of U.S. heritage tourism experts to the ruins for the first of several visits to develop a preservation and tourism plan for the area in Iraq, Babylon. The U.S. State Department and the Iraqi State Board of Antiquities and Heritage have embarked on the preservation project dubbed the Future of Babylon Project. Joel Rosenberg. How many of you have read a Joel Rosenberg book? Well, y'all need to read some more. Well, he's a best-selling fiction writer and or nonfiction writer, fiction writer. And in his best-selling book, Epicenter 2.0, he wrote about the Bible prophecies in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Revelation that indicate the city of Babylon in Iraq will, in fact, be rebuilt in the last days of history and become the wealthiest and most powerful city on the face of the planet. Now, it may not look like that right now. Right now, Iraq is a mess. The last place I want to go on vacation is Iraq. Iraq. Give me anywhere else in the world but there. Well, almost. Don't want to go to Iran either or Iran. Um, but if the Bible says it, and here we've got in, Re in Revelation chapter 18, clear references to the city of Babylon in the world in the tribulation period, exerting influence over the entire globe. And God has a word of warning to believers located there in the last days. Because some of you are thinking, well, Jeff, what does this matter for me? You know, we're reading Revelations 18, Babylon, I'm not going to be there. Well, there's three reasons why we need to understand what this Bible is saying. One, so that we understand the days we're living in. Jesus looked at the people of his day and called them evil. You know why he called them evil? He said, because you can tell when it's going to storm. You can tell when it's going to rain. You can tell when it's going to shine. But you can't tell what day you're living in spiritually. You don't know the signs of the times. So he called them a wicked generation for that. So God wants us to, to understand the signs of the times. So if we see Babylon being rebuilt, we go to our Bible. We understand the signs of the times. A second reason is I believe it's one of the great testimonies of the Bible being the Word of God. You can point to, to something like that being fulfilled and show it to an unbeliever and say, only God can tell the future like that. The third reason, if you're a believer in, in Babylon during the tribulation, we're about to read why you need to know it because it's going to tell you to get out of there. God has a word of warning to believers located there in the last days. He commands them to come out of her and flee from the midst of Babylon. And each of you save his life before he destroys Babylon. Revelation 18.4 and Jeremiah as well. John predicts that this great city, along with its culture and considerable financial strength, 
is going to be completely destroyed. Now, I know there's a lot of destruction going on in Revelation. But folks, again, I reiterate, I've said this over and over again in this series, but we've got to understand our God is a God of love, but he's also a God of holiness. And because he's a God of holiness, he must be a God of judgment. He must judge sin. And when a person or a nation or a world rejects God and walks away from God, he will warn, he will cajole, he will plead, he will woo, he will send prophets, he will send, he will send seers, he will send his word to, to tug at you, to warn you, to get you to turn. But if you don't turn and you insist on going your own way, God is left with only one last resort, and he judges. And the book of Revelation is showing us the judgment of the entire world that has walked away from God, not just America. Revelation is not an American prophecy. It's a world prophecy, and we're a part of it. Let's read what he says about the destruction of this city of Babylon that is wicked to the core. Revelations 18, 47. And it's the Antichrist's headquarters. Then I heard another voice calling from heaven, come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins or you will be punished with her. In other words, when I bring judgment and destruction to this city and you're in it, you're going to feel it. For her sins are piled as high as heaven. And God remembers her evil deeds. Do you see that? A nation or a world or a person can sin and keep sinning and keep sinning until finally it's, it, it reaches the fullness, the brim of the cup of iniquity, and there's nothing left. This city and the world of the tribulation has sinned as high as heaven where God remembers her evil deeds. Do to her as she has done to others, verse 6 says, double her penalty for all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others, so brewed twice as much for her. She glorified herself and lived in luxury, so match it now with torment and sorrow. She boasted in her heart, I am queen on my throne. I am no helpless widow, and I have no reason to mourn. In other words, nothing can touch me. I am safe. God is saying, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant, Galatians 6, 7. What do you want to reap? Then plant it. You know, I think a lot of times we wouldn't do certain things if we just stopped and thought, what I'm about to do is a seed. Do I want the harvest from this seed? Or if I'm about to do something good, you know, witness somebody, pray, uh, read the Bible, stop and think, this is a seed. Do I want uh, this becoming a harvest? You better believe I do. People say to me, Jeff, I've made so many mistakes. I walk so far away from God. What do I do? I say to them, sow, 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 and keep sowing righteousness as fast as you can and get another kind of harvest moving in your life. Amen. 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 Out of the mouth of babes. Thank you, sweetheart. Now, John, therefore, lays out her doom. Look at verse 8. Therefore, these plagues will overtake her in a single day, death and mourning and famine. How long will this take place? In a single day. In a single day. 
She will be completely consumed by fire, this city, for the Lord God who judges her is mighty. Now, this is New Testament. This isn't Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or the minor prophets. This is an Old Testament. We're reading a New, a New Testament, the final book of the New Testament, and it reads like Old Testament prophecy, doesn't it? It's beyond dispute that the catastrophe described here has never yet been fulfilled in ancient or modern Babylonian history. This has never happened. So you can't say, well, that's about the Babylon way back then in Nebuchadnezzar's time. No, because this didn't happen in Nebuchadnezzar's time. What we're reading here has never happened to a city named Babylon. Sudden destruction, ruin, because we're about to read more. So this is something that has never taken place. It's future. Three times the expression one hour occurs, indicating sudden and total destruction. The final capital will be consumed by fire in a short span of time, reminiscent of a nuclear inferno. And I have to always wonder as I read these Revelation passages, if this is not John seeing a first century man seeing a 21st century event. He knows nothing about thermonuclear war or weaponry, so he's only describing the best way a first century man can. But, but when I read about what he sees, how can a city be wiped off the face of the map in a day, in an hour? How? Well, only one of two ways, a nuclear blast or God himself does it. John sees Monarchs, merchants, and sea captains caught up in the Holocaust destruction. Revelations 8, 9, 18, 9. And the kings of the world who committed adultery with her, spiritually speaking, and enjoyed her great luxury will wail for her as they see the smoke rising from her charred remains. What kind of remains? So this, this city is, is taken down to a smoldering nub. In an hour. How? Charred remains. Verse 10, they will stand at a distance. Why would they be standing at a distance? Why not run up and try to rescue people? Why are they standing at a distance? Terrified, it says, by her great torment. Why would they stand at a distance? Because I don't want radioactivity on me. Because I can't get close. For my own protection? I don't know. And look what they will cry out. How terrible, how terrible for you, O Babylon, you great city. In a single moment, God's judgment came on you. This always gets me. How people of our day in America, for instance, we're, we're just, we're flaunting our sin in the face of God. America has so departed from what we used to hold true. The real church, let me inform you tonight, is a remnant and a remnant only. There's not tens of millions of, I don't believe, tens of millions of Christians who really walk with God, get up every morning and pray and read their Bible and are bearing the fruit of the Spirit and live according to the Word of God. I don't believe there's tens of millions in a, in a 300 million population. I think that's an embellished stat. Because I'm out there. I see what's out there. And if you're a Bible-believing, walking with Jesus, 
Bible adhering, witnessing for him, living for him, living in purity, Christian, you are a minority. So, you know, I just think we need to get over that and realize that we've departed. And, 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 and it's like we're saying to God, I, I, I double dog dare you to judge me. And, and see, what, what I'm getting at is you're cooking along. It says, in the days of Noah, in the days of Lot, what distinguished those two generations? As it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. Well, what was it about them? They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Well, big deal. I mean, so what? Eating, drinking, giving uh, in marriage, and, 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 and uh, building, and, and doing business contracts, and living what would seem a normal life. So what is Jesus' point? When he says, as it was in the days of Noah, and as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be. Let me tell you what his point was. They were oblivious. They were apathetic. They didn't care at all about the warning of Noah in Noah's day and the testimony of Lot and Abraham in Sodom and Gomorrah's day. They, they were just cooking along with a false sense of security, just kesara, sarah, whatever will be, will be. We're fine. They were living in terrible violence. They were living in homosexual perversion. They were living in all kinds of things that now are like our time. And they were just saying, it's all right. I'm going to keep on buying, selling, marrying, giving in marriage, doing business contract, living my life. And Jesus said they knew not. In other words, they were totally unaware. They knew not until the flood came. And they all drowned. So his point is, was this flagrant, I don't care, I have no fear of God. And suddenly, the flood hit, and suddenly, the fire fell. And with this Babylon, suddenly, in an hour, it will be smoke. And we in America think we're special. And that we can abuse our children and murder the unborn and flaunt perversion. Ah, well, we're just going to keep on marrying and giving in marriage and buying and selling. And, but there will be a suddenly... It's all through the Bible. And, and all these people who had this false sense of security are suddenly taken. And that was Jesus' point. Verse 11 says, The merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her, for there is no one left to buy their goods. They're watching from a distance. They've watched their whole economy collapse. She bought great quantities, this city, of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet cloth. I mean, this Babylon had it going on. Things made of fragrant wood, ivory goods, objects made of expensive wood. Look at this. They were wicked to the core, but they were artistic. They were creating fine furniture and 
artworks and they were at the top of their game. But wicked to the core. She bought cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and listen to this next one, and slaves and souls of men. Now, when I was reading this, that last part stopped me. I said, wait, did I just read that there was slavery? And, and what does it mean, the souls of men? What does it mean? She bought... It's the same sentence. She bought all these spices and whatnot, but then it ends with she bought slaves and bought the souls of men. Let me take you back. It's been estimated that one-third of Rome's population was enslaved. It was not unusual for 10,000 human beings to be auctioned off in one day. Can you imagine that? 10,000 human beings sold on a slave market somebody looking at you and deciding what you're worth, giving so much money for you, and then they own you. You talk about demoralizing, dehumanizing, wrong. There were probably over 60 million slaves in ancient Rome. They were treated like pieces of furniture, bought and sold, used and abused. Is John suggesting there's going to be slavery in the end times? Maybe not in the ancient sense, but here's some slavery for you. How about sex trafficking and other forms of modern-day slavery? When you think of the kind of slavery going on in our day, this is not too far-fetched. Young girls grabbed at bus stops, taken into captivity, forced to get hooked on heroin or some drug, Put on the slave market. In this world right now, there's millions of slaves. Slaves. With tyranny and this last day, great tribulation time period where this Babylon exists, with tyranny always comes the devaluation of life. That's why tyranny is rising in America. And do you notice the value of life decreasing? Where you can sell baby body parts. And we have an increasingly tyrannical government that doesn't listen to us anymore, could care less what we vote for. They make up their own mind behind closed doors, in smoke-filled rooms, what they're going to do with America, and they laugh at the vote of the common American citizen. We're under a kind of tyranny right now, and I'm including Republican, Democrat, all of them, have been exercising dictatorial tyranny in that they laugh at the votes because they've already made up their mind what they're going to do. That's got to change. So, people become enslaved to luxury with more bills to pay, and they're going to be living in luxury in this Babylon of sorts. They find themselves unable to break loose from the system, which may be the meaning here. They're enslaved to the Antichrist system. Their literal souls are enslaved to this godless, godless satanic world order in the Great Tribulation. It doesn't take much imagination to imagine this under the beast because, after all, 
Aren't they all marked on the hand or the forehead with the, the mark of the beast, those that have let themselves do it? They're already brought into a system where they're a slave. Amen. He will promise freedom, the Antichrist will, but he'll put men and women in bondage like they've never known in their whole life or history. He'll take advantage of the people's appetites and use their appetites to enslave them. So Babylon is a perfect description of runaway materialism minus God. Now look how quickly, folks, world power and material goods can be lost. Look how quick it can be gone. That's why Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt and where thieves cannot get in there and steal. Because look how quickly it can be lost. The description of Babylon's demise continues. Look at the rapidity of it. Verse 14, the ripe fruits and delicacies for which your soul longed have gone from you. What you gave your whole life for, it's gone. You should have been rich toward God. And all your luxuries and dainties, your elegance and splendor are lost to you never again to be recovered or experienced. I'm just quoting the Bible there. What God gives, God can take away. Even Jeremiah prophesied of God's own people, I will surely consume them. There will be no more harvest of figs and grapes. Their fruit trees will all die. Whatever I gave them will soon be gone. I, the Lord, have spoken. He can do that with America too. The land of the free and the home of the braver used to be. Not many free anymore, and where are the brave? Then next, John predicts horror on the part of those who traded with her. Verse 15, the dealers who handled these articles, who grew wealthy through their business with her, will stand a long way off in terror of her doom and torment, weeping and grieving aloud and saying, Alas, for the great city that was robed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, bedecked and glittering with gold, with precious stones and with pearls, because in one single hour all the vast wealth has been destroyed, wiped out. Everybody say with me, it can be gone in an hour. But not what you do for Jesus. Nobody can take that from you. And all, look what it says, all ship captains and pilots, navigators and all who live by seafaring, the crews and all who ply their trade on the sea stood a long way off, and they exclaimed as they watched the smoke of her burning, what city could be compared to the great city? They're, they're crying. And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and grieved, exclaiming, Woe and alas for the great city where all who had ships on the sea grew rich through her extravagance from her great wealth. Here it is again. In one single hour, she has been destroyed and has become a desert. A desert. A desert. Can you imagine Fort Worth in an hour becoming a desert? All those who profited from Antichrist's brief reign will mourn the fall of his. This is the collapse of Antichrist's economic system we're reading about right here. These merchants aren't grieving over at Babylon's pain. They're grieving over their own loss. It's a selfish grieving. Then John reveals why this destruction has befallen Babylon. Verse 20. Rejoice, celebrate over her. O heaven, O saints, people of God, and apostles and prophets, 
because God has executed vengeance for you upon her. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of saints and of all those who have been slain on the earth. So this city, being totally worldly, totally wicked, rich but wicked, was also involved in martyring God's people in the tribulation period. And God says, that's it. You pick on my children, you abuse my children, your hour is going to come. Remember the souls of the martyred underneath the altar in heaven asking how long it would be before their blood was avenged? This is God's vengeance on their behalf. Their destruction will be sudden and thorough, just like Sodom and Gomorrah's. Now a mighty angel appears as we come to the end. A mighty angel appears next to pronounce six terrible never-agains over Babylon. We're going to count them, starting at verse 21. Then a single powerful angel, here's another angel, took up a boulder like a great millstone and flung it into the seas, crying, with such violence shall Babylon the great city be hurled down to destruction and shall never again be found. You're not going to be able to find her again. Then, verse 22, the sound of harpists and minstrels and flute players and trumpeters and rock bands. Oh, I didn't, um, that's not in there. I just want to know if you were with me. Somebody said amen. All the musicians, we're talking about the collapse of their, their artistic realm. What does it say? Shall never again be heard in you and no skilled artisan of any craft shall ever again be found in you and the sound of the millstone shall never again be heard in you and y'all got to follow along here talk with me preach and never again shall the light of a lamp shine in you and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall never be heard in you again for your businessmen were the great and prominent men of the earth, and by your magic spells. So what were they involved in? The occult. And poisonous charm, all nations were led astray, seduced and deluded. At this point in the revelation, the political and economic system of the beast has at last been destroyed. All that remains is for Jesus Christ to come from heaven and personally meet and defeat the beast and his armies. And we're going to see that next time. And this he will do. And then he's going to establish his righteous kingdom on earth. Now, this, right, this chapter closes with another reminder of why Babylon is judged so harshly. Can you stand with me and let's read it together? Let's stand together and let's read it out loud. Why is Babylon judged this way? Read it. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Now, once again, John is caught up to heaven to view an incredible celebration and a white horse with a majestic rider who is about to appear on earth. How many of you can say, after these many weeks of destruction and judgment and bloodshed, I'm ready to see Jesus? Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.